And I think that's actually been a bit of the challenge in, in a, you could say, a young sector like sports tech or because um, it's new, so you don't have all those inspiring cases. You don't have those spreadsheets and business models you can copy. So I think that one of the bigger challenges in the sports tech sector is being more ambitious, having more courage to think that we can actually change the industry and then being more bullish around that. Don't listen too much to what people say, but believe in the, in the mission. And that doesn't mean uh, uh, where you're doing it from, or, uh, but actually believing that you can go anywhere. And I, I think the sports world is a great place to, to have those ambitions. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. That's right, you're listening to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Uh, glad to be joining you once again. And this week, we have a discussion with Peter Holm, co-founder of Tonsa. And as we say in the byline about the show, it is the global sports technology podcast. And we really do believe that and live up to that. Uh, last week's discussion with Kaylee Wilson from New Zealand, who's now re- relocated to the UK. Uh, this week, we're with Peter Holm from Denmark. So out to Copenhagen for, for this week's interview. And really, really interesting discussion around his uh, company that he started around athlete scouting. So obviously scouting in the normal sense is uh, someone going down and, and watching a football match and, and all through this episode for our uh, American uh, listeners, uh, football we're referring to the round ball. So you can insert soccer there. Um, we should probably at some stage do an American and an English version, uh, you know, soccer and football and however we go. But we're talking about the round ball game this week and talking about athlete scouting. So using technology to basically uncover hidden gems that haven't been picked up in traditional scouting methods. Also a really interesting chat about uh, Gen Z and, and kind of younger generations and how they're engaging with, with football and sports in general and how tech can be used to increase participation rates. As always, if you've got any feedback, please contact me on thomas at sportstechfeed.com, find me on LinkedIn and show notes are on sportstechfeed.com. If you like the show, then please like it on your chosen uh, podcast platform. Helps us kind of spread the word of what we're doing here. But without further ado, here is Peter Holm. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Uh, Peter Holm from Tonsa. Uh, so good to have you dialing in from Copenhagen. Thanks a lot for having me. Our pleasure. So, as I said, founder of uh, Tonsa, can you tell us a little bit about um, about your company, what it what it does, and what problem it's solving? Yeah. Um, so, just you know, very simply, Tonsa is an app, a performance app, and a performance community for your football players, primarily between thirteen and nineteen. Um, when we started the company and set out for this mission, we saw that there was uh, 55,000 professional football players in the, in the world, uh, roughly, uh, with data, information, a pretty well-covered uh, ecosystem, uh, matches are being covered, there's stats, there's the statistics, there's a transfer system. Um, you can argue how well it's working, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's there and it's pretty covered. Uh, but below this, you can uh, almost use the tip of the iceberg um, analogy. Uh, and then below that, you have uh, roughly 300 million football players in the world. And of those, there is roughly 100 million youth players that we believe are the future of the sport. The Those that were passionless the most were who, those who aspire to become the next generation of footballers. Uh, and then you can argue on what level, of course. 
but we saw that there is a huge opportunity to really empower uh, football players uh, to claim their identity and empower them to unlock their potential. Uh, through by by collecting connect uh, collecting all the performances uh, from the pitches, transferring that into an app, and then building a gateway that through those performances actually open new opportunities for the yeah, players. So that's uh, so youth football players will upload their data to the app, saying you know this is my performance, this is how I'm going, and then that's used by clubs to scout that pool of un kind of untapped um football because just to just to share a little bit of the background for our for our listeners how does it currently work if you're coming through um and you know we look at i was talking about zidane earlier for instance um the famous french um, football player if his kind of journey to being little zidane running around in the schoolyard kicking a ball with his mates all the way up to international superstar how does it classically work for him to be stepped through that process I think the uh, the answer in short is there is no clear path towards yep. that because we all human beings, we are all um, different, and but we're trying to apply a very static approach to how we discover talent, and but what we believe it is, it's all about unlocking potential, yep. because you know it's a matter of time when you are the best it's a matter of people you work with it's about conditions it's about where you're born it's about the gear that you play in it's about the motivation you have it's about the the uh, the cognitive stimulation you have uh, that allows you to actually fulfill that and it's clear if you are built into uh, conditions where you have a uh, a more likely chance at specific times in your age and, and then you can enter that, that path. Um, for instance, in, in England, some clubs scout all the way down to four years of age now, some six, some seven, which is completely ridiculous. And so they'll be taken at that age and they'll go through the academy system, which is basically um, in parallel to their schooling. They're going through soccer academies. They're going through different levels. And then basically they get weeded out um, as they go up and then... They keep going, and if they stay with that same club, or they might get transferred between, or they'll run scouting camps or things like that. So, obviously, there's only so many football academies, um, there's only so many scouting camps that can be run. So, in terms of the amount of players that can be identified in a classic talent identification uh, sense, is fairly limited. Uh, yes, definitely, and and what we believe in is that um, there is uh, so much talent, so much potential that are left outside the traditional paths. So we do not focus too much on empowering those that are already on that path. So maybe in academies, we focus on those that are outside and it doesn't necessarily matter what level you play. So just back to the better, the fundamentals that we see tying into unlocking your potential. Number one is motivation. You need to have clear motivation to showing up for practice, to show up for, for matches week after week. And what we see right now is arguably the biggest challenge to modern day football and the future of football is the decrease in participation among young young people. Yeah. In, in Western Europe, uh, just generalizing a little bit, uh, over the last six, seven years, there's a, uh, uh, around 15% decrease in, in youth football players, which is really significant. Yeah. So number one is that we actually built a sport that is really motivating to show up to uh, week in, week out. So that's what we're trying to build into about you being able to claim your identity, claim your performances, track your stats, 
because we see that recognition, that ab- ability to compare yourself on team of the week, uh, actually see yourself on rankings, all that, that what we see on a pro level, FIFA, football manager in uh, Champions League, really how can we democratize that experience so everybody feels like a pro? Yeah, uh, and that's, and that's the, something we'll um, we'll discuss a bit later around mass yeah. participation and basically how those those rates have dropped. But drilling into the tech and what you're doing in Tonsa, how is that um, how is that data uploaded? What's the data that's captured? What are the stats? Um, what kind of platform is it shared with? Can you share a bit about that? Yeah, um, so it's it's quite fundamental to understand how how the app is working and and. We, we believe that the, the core right now into allowing players to really create identities based on, on performances is, is how do we build a really strong data uh, foundation that really is a combination of those data points that are out there. So for instance, in Denmark, we have an integration with the Danish Football Association, meaning that the, all the data points around uh, matches, clubs, teams, schedules, league tables, um, uh, yeah, all you can say static information is directly integrated into the app. So as a youth player, that means if you download the app, download the Tunsler app, then you will be able to find the clubs. So here in Denmark, you'll only be able to find those clubs that are registered within the Danish Football Association. Then you choose, uh, let's say, uh, Copenhagen. And then if you choose Copenhagen, then you will only be able to see those clubs that are, uh, those teams that are really registered. Uh, so you can choose under 15 second team. And then we, the Tottens app really loads your football life. Uh, matches that have been played this season, the results, and you can find your opponents, your teammates. Uh, uh, and then we really validate everything up until, uh, including the results. After that, we crowdsource for you and your teammates to fulfill uh, goal scorers, assist makers, what skills you've shown in a match, uh, uh, vote for each other, and then together validate that together with uh, uh, our machine learning um, model that it detects uh, the, the credibility of that data. And then you need to make sure you have a high amount of players, uh, teammates to make sh- to also uh, for us to have credibility in the data, for you to use the data to go on trials and so on. So that's uh, one level of, of that. So that that is really our enabler to to allow empower players to, to you can say, showcase themselves and ex- express themselves and open opportunities for themselves. And so it's it's validated by their peers. I know you mentioned the kind of man of the match thing, where that's voted by their peers. So I guess it couldn't it would prevent me from coming on and saying, "Hey, I'm the next uh, Ronaldo, um, but I've got two left feet, uh, and I couldn't you know dribble a ball to save my life." But uh, it stops me going on there and saying all these things about myself um, when actually you look at that. Well, your peers are voting you where you sit. You sit in a ranking table compared to everyone else. Um, is it possible to upload other um, kind of information or kind of share anything around that? Yeah, um, so we see ourselves um, in a sort of a sweet spot of data validated and crowdsourced, user generated. And that's both in terms of data that's evolving around peer to peer, your self expression, video upload, um, and so on. So we really try to. Find as many relevant opportunities for players to express themselves, because you can probably you could ask me when I was fifteen. I'd probably ask you as well, and you can ask any young football player about what type of football player they are, and they won't shut up. They just love to really express themselves in terms of what type, what type of characteristics they have, what group yeah. they play in, what makes them um, where 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 
uh, what uh, you know a mindset they have working on how they are as a team player so I, I think we're just really trying to build a platform that allows players to express that and create that environment around that motivates them to also always keep that updated because there is a higher purpose with it gotcha so it's not just a here am I it's not just a stat sheet because I mean there's lots of platforms that are currently out there um, even at the amateur level of just pure stats this is like people's personalities so your highlight your highlight reels you kind of your flair like what that is that that forms so much of professional sports these days is the personalities that that come out of it not just pure skills or um i guess uh, physical attributes maybe yeah, you can maybe draw a bit of an analogy to to LinkedIn in the early days, where how they build it, basically just build their resume. That was their utility. So they built the resume, allowing people really to, you can say, uh, track their development and 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 keep that uh, digital, share it. Uh, but what they then built is the community around it that made the resume relevant. Uh, and the, yeah. the, the more the community grew the more relevant the res resume became. So they had a utility and the more, the, um, the faster they grew the community, the more relevant the, the, the resume kept, the, became to always keep updated and develop and wanted you to express more about yourself. So I, I think there's an analogy in terms of how we, how we view your ability to track your performances, both in terms of data and, and video and then build the community around it that makes it relevant. I sometimes internally use this analogy also and, and not to offend anybody, but I never really got the whole point of why uh, people that, that run share it on social media. Uh, because really, honestly, who cares? Um, those, the only ones that really care is probably those that you already run with or have some sort of relationship yeah. with around running. Like we compete together, we run together, we are maybe participating in a marathon together. Yeah. So the context is everything. And really for us, that's what we're trying to build the relevant context. That means that like you always have incentive to build your identity capture your performances because there's a higher purpose with it. It's your gateway to improve, uh, be motivated, get recognition, potentially also take this next step in your in your football career. Yeah, so it's beyond just people that are looking to turn pro. It's people that are using it to, I guess, showcase against their, their um, peers, which is you're talking about running apps and uh, something like Strava that has segments in, in same in cycling where you basically have a, have a segment and you compete against other people. Some of them you know, some of them are complete randoms, but just this innate human desire to compete um, definitely forces that, uh, that, I guess that continual um, sharing of that, trying to get better and different challenges and stuff. So it's interesting. Definitely, I'm a big fan of Strava uh, because I think they really uh, understood this um, and they have been pioneers in terms of building this uh, context in a relevant way. way. They find players to come challenge themselves, compete uh, both when they're actually doing the actual sport but also afterwards. And they build in gamification that allows you to be uh, motivated uh, and also achieve goals in your own way. Uh, and I think that's really important when we talk about like transferring this to always keeping players motivated when we talk about 13 to 19. Uh, and, and, and players that will come become 13 to 19 over the next 10, 20 years. They are different than when we are 13 and 19. Yeah. Uh, I assume you're not uh, 13 to 19 uh, without no, me actually asking no. your age. But no, 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 with the baby face. No, I've just, I've just hit the big 3-0 this year. So no, I can definitely say when I was, um, when I was 
13 through to 19. Um, smartphones weren't a thing. Um, neither was, yeah, neither was the competitive nature of... Um, I mean, competition in, in, in sports was there, but um, the whole social sharing thing just, just didn't exist. So it's, it's been interesting to see it grow on a personal level as well as a professional level. So, I mean, speaking about that, what are your... Uh, what's your user base look like? Because obviously, as you said, this really relies on the community being there, the kind of validation. So what's your user base look like and what are some key markets that you've um, you've launched into? We um, we had 1 million uh, players on the app. So uh, not downloads, but players on the app. And of course, there's seasonality. So a difference uh, from now you're in Austin, I'm in Copenhagen. We play uh, football different times of year. Yep. So... Uh, so we hit 1 million and already hit 1.1 million uh, now in, in December. Um, uh, and these are 13 to 19 year old registered football players. Uh, that's the only one we really count because that's where we focus. Um, France is our biggest market. We have more than uh, 500,000 of these actually in France. Um, and that means that this season, um, 85% of the youth teams registered youth teams had uh, at least one player on the oh, team wow. in, uh, in France. So it's a pretty high penetration in France and, and it's just incredible to see how football is becoming a cultural thing and we, we probably all can relate to that favela um, culture that existed in Brazil and still exists today. Of course, we have a Ronaldinho just here behind me on the picture. Um, and like that culture is something that is definitely relatable to the culture that I see in France today in Paris. Yep. Um, the diversity, the cultural, um, uh, you could say, uh, path that players take from suburbs to playing on the streets into pitches. It's uh, quite fascinating and how, how that is also something that ties very nicely into the aspirational universe that we have uh, created. Yeah, because it's not as, um, it's either the, like the Parisian Ben, ben Liu, that's my terrible French pronunciation of, of basically the suburbs, it's the kind of um, housing commission, government housing groups and the big migrant commun communities go through there and football is something that soccer is is the world game it's something that everyone plays and it's it's not your classic path that we spoke about at the beginning which is you just go to a elite academy or you go to elite private school where they have um amazing facilities you're you're out on the concrete you're out on the cement kicking a ball around um and then maybe you play futsal or something else or you're playing five aside you kind of grow up through that way it's as you said it's a lot scrappier but it's a lot you get people that are a lot hungrier for success in those environments so um yeah, that that would be. And I would like to actually use that, just like you said here, like hunger, and yep. uh, hunger is something we don't factor in when we start scouting at the age of four. Um, well, we you also get, that the only hunger at the age of four is literally hunger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but <laughs> the thing is that when we when we look at players that are fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Uh, and needs to keep developing and so on, they need to have the hunger at that time. Yep. And what we're seeing a trend of, and I can relate this to um, really interesting analysis that was made uh, on handball. Sorry to drag in handball here, but I'm from Denmark and- uh, Euro they, European they, they, handball? Yeah. Uh, yeah. For, our, so for our international listeners, I'll include a link because if you've never seen it, it's <laughs> like it's water a big, polo big sport. on big. land. Yeah, of, it's a big sport yeah. in Europe. Uh, and Denmark won the World Cup for men's handball earlier this year. Um, and don't want to draw too many parallels, but there was one really interesting uh, thing. Uh, that was that I spoke to the uh, 
um, the academy director of the Danish uh, youth national team for handball. And he showed me a chart of um, how many players that from the last 10-15 years where they when they were born and we all know about this relative age uh, that you're more likely to succeed maybe in your first born the first three, three months of the year but because you play with higher competition because you maybe are, have a different size physical difference um but so what was interesting was that you saw um clear where that those that in those youth teams uh, under 15 under 16 under 17 under 19 uh the the 80% of the players on those youth national teams were all born in the first six months of the year. Uh, and then he showed me a chart of that team that just won the World Cup um, uh, in handball. And only two out of those 18 players were born in the first six months. The rest were born in, in the, the other six months of the year, the last six months of the year. Which is really interesting and it's something that I, I, I see it more and more a trend about happening. And I see more and more analysis being made uh, around this that we have a tendency to see that those that perform highest when they are early in their career are those that are born in the first six months of the, uh, the year. But what those in the born in the last six months of the year have always been second. They always had to work harder at it because they yeah. maybe been smaller. They maybe played in the second team. They maybe never had the belief. We also see it with players on the football pitch that are maybe shorter. They had to work harder because nobody believed in it. And those that can conquer those challenges have a higher likelihood of making it. That's my belief. So if we look at it from tons of perspective, there are so many of these players that are left outside for some reason. Is it because of age? Is it because of size? Is it because of their relationship with a coach? No matter what. There are so many. And we need information. We need data to help these players actually take that step and stop uh, being focusing on our traditional models and being biased by that. Yeah. So it's the, it's the independence and, and data validation to... Uh, scouting, so the the kind of head part, head versus gut. You've you've got something that um, you can get some uncovered gems. Uh, I guess. Do you, do you have any examples of that of how that's worked? Yes. Um, I don't almost don't know where to start. Uh, but what has been interesting is that we've met with a lot of clubs over years. Now we're working with some really inspiring clubs that take different uh, means to to build the future of the sport. And they know that information is going to be important. Um, but what we've seen is when we started to meet with clubs and pitch what we do and, and how we can help them develop their ability to scale, uh, to, to scout at scale and help them find players that suited their environment, was they told us that we already know the best ones. We have spreadsheets, we have people that are everywhere. They inform us when they see something interesting, and that's how most uh, clubs uh, uh, work. Um, so, and we found it really difficult to convince them otherwise, uh, saying that we can do better, saying we can not just now just do better because not, but saying we can complement what you do already, yeah. uh, and, and, and be a, an asset for, for you in that whole validation process. Um, so we found it difficult. So what we did instead is that we said, okay, let's make sure we prove it instead. That's always better. So one example we did was in in uh, in, in Denmark, uh, England, and France this year. We we have had teams that has been found through the app participate in elite tournaments. So in through the app, we have put up these applications where players that is an example. We, let's take one in France, an under fifteen tournament. Players that was not part of an academy, 
a team that was did not have an agent that, that had not no contract or was not on the verge of signing some like pre-contract you can sometimes sign that um nothing like that and then we have allowed players to apply for this team and then based on their performances in the app we selected a team of 15 on the 15 players that never played together before didn't know each other we had the meet up before uh, 48 hours before this tournament the so Banksy. 48 hours so it was just a they never met any, like they never played together it was just purely looking through the app and just going we're going to select these yeah based on their performance of uh, of data or stats and yep. video on and video so a combination of those two things and an important thing is what we use and an identifier here is also who does their teammates those that spend most of their time actually who do they think are the best it's a big yep. identifier actually but uh, then we used this to select the team, met 48 hours before uh, playing. We also recruited the coach, Philip, by the way. Uh, met up, had two uh, two days of practice, and then participated in Bangsi Cup. First match, they play against PSG on the 15 first team, and they draw uh, 1-1. Wow. Uh, drew 1-1. Uh, second match, they lose 1-0 to Juventus, Juventus' first team on the 15 team, and then they beat Lille. 2-0, they also drew 0-0 against Marseille, and ultimately, this was a team of all French players, no one in academies, and they did not lose a single match against any French academy, and they played against fifth, five great wow. French academies. And some, Rennes, some amazing... Rennes, Marseille, um... Lyon, uh, sorry, Rennes, Marseille, PSG, Lille... I can't remember the fifth one. Yeah, so uh, these are top flight European clubs as well, just, yeah. just for those that uh, don't know the, the clubs that well. But these are, yeah. These and are what we saw games. after that is then we invited the clubs to come and you had several very big clubs there, uh, both from the Premier League, from France, from Spain. Uh, and after that, I think it's half of the team that's now been signed by Pro Academies. Wow, so it's kind of the, the Mighty Ducks kind of <laughs> yeah story i guess except except with a tech spin a modern tech spin. <laughs> yeah so, that's a cool that's analogy awesome. we'll start using yeah. that we should, yeah. maybe we should uh, change the name uh, from uh, tons united to tons of mighty ducks exactly yeah <laughs> yeah ducks ducks fly together so uh, but that's uh that's fantastic so I, I guess um there's nothing like uh performance to change people's minds right no, and then it's it's of course very different that we can come and but for, so we invited the clubs to come and see and they, they like clubs were already there of course because of an elite tournament and it was the best academies in Europe and then at an a team so like a player selected through an app it sounds ridiculous right um but um of course yeah those clubs that were there those clubs that we've now uh, been able to, to uh, build trials for afterwards uh, together with for the for some of these players just been again proving the point that talent exists everywhere and it's just about giving them the right opportunities yeah definitely so that's you mentioned there in terms of your key markets obviously denmark where you're from and then france and 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 the premier league so england um which are key footballing nations um where's the where's the growth from there where are you where are you looking to expand and is it just within football or is it into other sports um, we're still busy in, in Europe. You can say we launched in, in England this fall and now have roughly 100,000, 90,000 uh, players. Um, uh, but we have several countries still that we are not yet live in uh, because of our model. It's, it's slightly, 
Uh, you can say slower because we need to adapt to the specific country, make sure all the data is there for the players to get the right experience. Uh, but we actually have um, um, a, a focus on the US as well. We hope to, to actually be able to do something next year. I cannot fully unveil that right now, but I hope to be able to do that sh uh, soon. Uh, it's also because it's it's not uh, like we we don't know 100% yet. Uh, the plan is not something that's been 100% de defined. But we we hope to come to US soon, and we see a huge opportunity for the product that we've been able to 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 build. Taking that to the US, seeing some of the challenges that exist, and great aspiration, a great opportunity platform that that US is for soccer. Um, and um, and we see we have had two field trips, three field trips already to to meet with players, parents, and coaches, and clubs, and it just seems like such a great fit. Yeah, obviously that grassroots, as you said, thirteen to nineteen, that grassroots sports segment in the US is massive, and and also their um, I guess uh, understanding of scouting and and things like that, and building your highlights and. All of that is uh, is very very well understood, and obviously a, a bit of a boom um, coming through soccer in in the US at the moment. Uh, yeah, and I, I still think there are also some of the same challenges as we see in Europe. Um, you have a massive uh, participation among uh, kids and and also teenagers, and then there's a big drop. So there is uh, the whole uh, challenge about building bridge, uh, if I may, uh, between the youth. And actually the senior, both on a professional, but also on a grassroots level that I hope that we can be part of and actually integrate it even more into the culture, make it more fun, motivative, and also open opportunities and, and a different way that, that maybe exist in today in, in the US. Yeah. Because of somehow, because it's a huge country, obviously, and you have territories, uh, you have um, counties and you have states. So it can be difficult, such a big market and, and a relatively young market uh, with the infrastructure. So we hope we can also be part of, of, of maybe improving that. Yeah, and you said earlier around uh, decline in participation, um, sports participation rates uh, at a youth level, which just naturally lends itself um, to a decline in participation at senior and older level. Uh, how do you think tech can be a part of alleviating that or uh, reversing that trend to increase participation? Um, so first of all, yeah, yeah, like like I said earlier on, it's uh, it's a big challenge that. That first of all, startups and and um, and institutions have to work together to 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 solve. I see a trend that that more and more, uh, which is good to see, more and more institutions like football federations, associations are getting involved in innovation and tech and, and helping startups integrate startups. Um, but still, I see too much monopoly-driven uh, action where. Um, is more focused on protecting rather than developing uh, because some actually believe it's more important to control and, and do everything uh, inside their own country. Um, but I see a change in this. So it, it's, the, the, it, it's, it's going in the right direction. So first of all, the collaboration is, is, is really important um, to create great products, to understand what drives young people. Um, because the, the experience of a youth player, a football player, is is uh, inferior you can almost say to sitting and, and, and playing a, a to, to esports for instance you get a different endorphin uh, level you get a quick recognition get quick rewards 
it's easier to get going. Uh, it, it's not played in, in terrible weather, not, uh, in snow, and you don't get yelled at maybe from your coach. Or, so there's all these elements that, that, that makes it more difficult for a sport that, that, that where a match takes uh, 90 minutes and you maybe you lose 5-0 or you're maybe not the best in your team. What will you then get out of? What is it that will make you play for, for years to come? Uh, so what we believe that we can play a role in is, is increasing the experience um, for any label. Um, we see it almost like human beings. Like what are we driven by as human beings? Why do we go to work? So why should you show up for football? Uh, we're always trying to adapt that, that the ability for you to make an impact on your team, that you are challenged, uh, that you're improving, that you're motivated. You get the recognition that you need, but also you'll have the opportunities to grow. Uh, you get feedback from your coach, you get feedback from your teammates. So all, always trying to build in a community and environment that really uh, look at you as an individual um, and you know what is important for you to, do, to grow. So trying to tailor that experience uh, for, for what drives uh, young people. Yeah, which is a huge part of that is social recognition and just in, in everyday life, as we mentioned, that that wasn't something for us growing up, but definitely for kids these days uh, as they get young, younger and younger it is social networks whatever that is I mean obviously TikTok's the big one that's on the rise at the moment but it'll continue um, in terms of whatever that platform is it's just more social validation uh, of their peers and that's not necessarily just people they know but people outside of that so I, I guess moving that in a positive direction um, which it sounds like uh, some of the focus of what you're doing is definitely about that recognition and reward rather than um, criticism. Yeah, and, and I think what what we accuse most social networks of, that's why we don't call ourselves a social network, but a performance app and community, is um, or is a social media social network is we we often regard them as time waste. Like what, what is, like, is it, is it communication or is it convenience or is it access or is it just pure time waste? We want to yeah. make sure that we don't do anything to waste the time of players, uh, but we want to build purpose and have a promise that we can actually deliver on. So it's something that we're quite bullish around and quite uh, self-critical around, uh, not building something that wastes people's time, uh, which is, I think should be uh, on everybody's agenda that builds products today that we that have a higher purpose. Yep. And what are some of the collaborations you've done around that with, say, other brands? So, for instance, uh, Adidas is part of the Times United uh, story that I told before, this team. So they equip the team and as part of telling that story. Uh, um, we also work with uh, Nike, for instance, on, on great, uh, great opportunities. We've built something that was called, that's called Nike, Nike in Tons uh, of Hunts, sorry, which is a bit like a combine where players can show up and get measured, really get a lot of deep information about itself. We set up computer vision cameras. We really do the things that only like really a few selected normal pro players get. And then of course integrate that data and then also gives opportunity through, the, through that. Um, so what we're trying to do is integrate uh, brands that, that players really love being, uh, being in, you say, being part of uh, and engaging with. Um, it's it's become more and more clear to me that our generation, uh, if I'm allowed to say that, uh, between the two of us, we're both in our thirties. Uh, we see we saw football as clubs. We follow clubs. Uh, yeah. We are passionate about clubs, and you know, loyalty towards the club is is something you cannot argue with. Um, while 
it's different when we're talking about uh, the next generation, where uh, you follow Eason Hazard when he was at Chelsea because you liked him, and then now you support Real Madrid because he's in Real Madrid. And that's a trend that's definitely changed. I'm not saying it's like generalized, you can just do it, but it's definitely very different from when I was uh, when I was young and actually chose to follow a team. Um, and that's that's the thing. And the second thing is also how players actually uh, engage differently with with brands like EA Sports, FIFA, uh, Pro Evolution Soccer, um, Nike, Adidas, Puma, whatever it might be. As long as it's native, authentic, and something they actually get as something out of, not just pure advertising. So we yeah. try to, of course, integrate that in smart ways where it's really uh, empowering the players. Uh, how can we take something that happens on the pitches, build it into the app that together with brands and also empowers them in, in real life. Yeah, definitely. So would you say uh, that that loyalty to say a player over a club, is that associated with brands as well? Like if a certain player is sponsored by a brand, it kind of has, they'll have the attachment to that. Yeah, I, 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 I see that, um, that, Players, um, when, when I was like 15, I played in Predator and I didn't want to play in anything else than Predator. And, I, and change, times has changed, it's 20 years since I was 15. Yeah. And now it's much bigger than that. Like the self-expression is so important right now. Um, how you look at yourself, how you feel, what type of player you are. Um, and, and brands play a huge role in that. Um, mm. And, and, and the, the collaborations uh, yeah. as well that you're seeing with brands. Like the collaborations between uh, sports media entertainment across that, um, that you know, it, it'll be a, a Nike and whoever collab with, with an athlete with something like that, that it's, as you said, it's personalization, it's customization, it's, yeah, it, it's really people going, all right, how can I express myself? And it might not just be purely with one, one brand, it might be through a different, different levels, different mediums, all that kind of stuff. Yes, we are. We are always looking to how we can uh, build inspiring stories, uh, and that's definitely something that brands want to be part of. Like, and I, I think that's why we also see like the, the global brands uh, reaching out to us uh, because it's a way to to really engage with a niche, important audience, but in a way where it's honest and it's real, and it's something that players want to. It's not spamming them with advertising in the feed like like other other like other apps and products. Uh, so we're trying to do that, and I I think it's also um, something that we can see the result of uh, with brands that they are always trying to 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 find ways to to stay loyal to to their own mission and also how they actually engage with their with their consumers players in our case around that. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, one of the kind of final questions, how have you found the experience of growing a global startup from, from Copenhagen, from Denmark? Oh yeah, that's a, di that's a different question and, uh, and, and thanks for asking that as well. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely improved since we started five years ago. Um, so first of all, we are now a sports tech. So I was speaking uh, a couple of weeks ago at this event for sports tech in the Nordics. Um, and now it's really a thing and, and it's great to see and so much passion in, in sports tech in, 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 in Europe, in the US and in Asia, different places. It's great. But when we started 
you know, that, that, that whole term was not coined. So yeah. what were we? We didn't know. Uh, so we have to pave our way in different ways, both in terms of funding, in terms of building in Copenhagen. When people see us, they see maybe football, but if you're a developer, you maybe don't really like football. So there's been different, a lot of challenges in terms of that. Uh, our, our, our base has always been the culture, how we want to you know, unite this whole football aspect with the tech. Uh, tech side of it and make of course uh, uh, like just any like our own culture uh, from that and build from the purpose that we have the people that we want to have part of it that really breathe breathe the, the mission even though they maybe not be interested in football they can still yep. be part of that because it's empowering people empowering young people um, so for that it's been a really interesting journey so far uh, we are now also having small offices in London and in Paris in Berlin uh, but we believe still we have a, a Danish identity um, for different for different ways. But of course now an international startup with uh, I don't know 15, 16, 17 nationalities, something like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's good to hear. And there's something that really is at the core of our ethos is um, Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast, and the Sports Tech World Series is that uh, the world's a small place uh, if you want it to be. So. Um, that's really good to hear that you're kind of having that global approach to it. Uh, and the other phrase that we, we go with is you're, as a startup, you're born, born global or you die local. If your vision's not for the world, then you're probably not going to last very long. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's actually been a bit of the challenge in, in a, you could say, a young sector like sports tech or because um, it's new. So you don't have all those inspiring cases. You don't have those spreadsheets and business models you can copy. So I think that one of the bigger challenges in the sports tech sector is being more ambitious, having more courage to think that we can actually change the industry and then being more bullish around that. Don't listen too much to what people say, but believe in, in the mission. And that doesn't mean... a uh, where you're doing it from, or uh, but actually believing that you can go anywhere, and I I think the sports world is a great place to to have those ambitions. Fantastic, that's great to hear. Well, final final question for you: What is your favorite sporting moment of all time? Oh, that is a good question. Um. I don't want to bore you with my own personal because they're all really boring levels. Uh, you you can, that can be, if, that, if that's your great, greatest moment. <laughs> it's, no, it, it doesn't have to be professional. It can be your, your under 13s, um, third division football I think, championship. I think I, would, I don't know. I still, okay, I'm, I'm going to go the nationalist uh, route here and, yep. and, and say 1992, uh, one of the biggest underdogs ever. Um, in, in sporting uh, history won the European Championship in football Denmark uh, they were not even qualified but they qualified because of the war in Yugoslavia so they overtook their place uh, went in completely underdogs all the players were supposed to be on holiday they were called in two weeks before uh, showed up won the tournament uh, beat uh, Germany 2-0 in the final and I think they had like the possession was like 35 possession or percent possession so it's a comp- like really unfair result <laughs> essentially but they didn't have the players to win but they did it and it was just such a great underdog story and personally I was yeah I was eight years old I was I was in a tent uh, at, at a festival in Denmark with 5,000 people that went completely crazy and I have these pictures with me flags on the, on the cheeks so a great moment and something we still uh, remember a lot in Denmark because we don't get to win that often 
Well, that's great. That's a great way to uh, to to wrap it up. As as Denmark's greatest sports tech export. So, uh, yeah, anything yeah. is possible. So uh, that's why I probably will uh, will take that. If they could win, then then anything can happen. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, we'll include a few links in the show notes. Um, obviously, to the Tonsa app and then a, and a few other things that you mentioned. I'll see if I can get some footage of um, Denmark winning highlights of uh, <laughs> their, their beating of of the Germans and the Euros. Uh, and a few other uh, links about some of the stuff we've chatted about. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me. It was such a pleasure. No worries. Thanks so much, Peter. We'll chat to you later. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. And there you have it, Peter Holm from Tonsa. So I'll include a few links to some of the things he talks about, including uh, Denmark winning the 1992 Euros, uh, which I've got to say some of those kits... Uh, in terms of the jerseys, were fantastic. You don't, you know, get uh, big pop collars in in uh, football these days anymore. So I think they should they should bring that back. But uh, if you also want to get in touch about guests, suggested guests, feedback, anything else, then please contact me at thomas at sportstechfeed.com. Always interested to hear, hear thoughts, good, bad, indifferent. And you can also go to sportstechfeed.com for those show notes. And next week on the show, we have Umberto Rigetti, Chief Strategy Officer of Atrium Sports. So they've been in the news recently with one of their latest acquisitions. So they've just recently acquired a sports technology startup that used to be owned by Mark Cuban. So they're doing some amazing things with FIBA, the governing body of basketball, in growing the sport and basically putting a amazing all-encompassing technology layer over each basketball stadium and game. Until next week, I've been your host, Thomas Loams. Looking forward to joining you next week.